Hey there, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with interesting people doing cool stuff in e-com and tech. I'm your host, Tim. So I've decided to create a new series called Agency Side, Stories of Leaders Changing the Digital Landscape. It's a six-part weekly series where I sit down with agency owners and leaders to explore what it's like to build, grow, and navigate an agency through the complexities of a modern digital world. On this episode, I sit down with Paul Rogers, co-founder and managing director of Avant, an e-commerce and paid media consultancy. We touch on starting a business with his best friend, staying niche at scale, Shopify versus Magento, and how doing spin classes with clients has given Vivant a competitive edge. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Paul... Welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, and I'm in the office today, which is nice. Um, I didn't think I'd be able to be in the office this week, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm back in, which is good. Although I don't know how long that will last. I think uh, lockdown will probably start to prohibit me a bit more uh, soon. What about you? How are you doing and where are you? Yeah, I am good. Um, yeah, we, we've kind of made the call and you know like you guys the office is there for people if they kind of need to use it or want to use it but for the most part most people are from home working from home and yeah i'm at home here in 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 walthamstow and uh i'm lucky enough to have like a a spare room slash office so um yeah pretty comfy you know what the best thing about the work from home uh concept is i am so punctual to meetings now like, I yeah. could be downstairs literally before this, like we were starting whatever. And I was downstairs at like one and a half minutes to the meeting, making a coffee. And I'm like, you know what? I can cruise upstairs and I'll have a good 45, 30 to 45 seconds to go before we need to get going. So yeah, that's yeah. one positive COVID outcome. But anyway, we're not here to talk about COVID. I want to learn more about you. This is the agency side series. So we're going to be talking more about Vivant. So let's just get straight into it. Like how did it start? And, and kind of w- what's the mission? What are you guys trying to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Vivant started, so it's 2017. So I think we, we don't really have a start date, but we officially, or like we tell people it was kind of September 2017, which is when we hired our first employee. Um, but basically, so I started Vivant with my best friend, Josh. Um, so I was uh, freelancing as an e-commerce consultant at the time. Um, I had a few clients so maybe four or five clients um two of which were brands um and i was working on direct consumer projects and then we ended up doing kind of proof of concept uh or paid media proof of concepts and then josh uh basically freelance so he was working for two big uh or he had worked for two big wpp agencies working with big accounts um and then he was doing freelance for me kind of just proving the concept and i wasn't really charging for it it was more just to um kind of prove the concept of paid and um one of them in particular was kind of a luxury brand and they had no presence for their branded search and 
they'd never done anything paid. So we decided to kind of do that initial proof of concept. Um, and then after a few months, we decided that it was a good proposition and there was a real gap for, at this point, we wanted to be consultants. So Josh was operating as a consultant. Um, uh, shortly after this, he, he came on full time and he was basically working from our clients' offices. Um, he was like really like ingrained in the business um, as they started to spend more money. Um, he was a bit more involved with different teams. Um, you know, he was looking at things like inventory when he was planning kind of different campaigns. He was he was just that he was basically operating as a consultant. So that was kind of what we were looking to do at that point. So our mission was essentially my side was uh, e-commerce consultancy with a big focus on replatforming and platform selection and kind of helping people really like build out um, kind of a technology stack and then commit to it and find the different or like kind of select the different vendors, the agency, et cetera. And then Josh's side was like consultant led paid media um, from kind of the ground up, like generally with kind of brands going direct consumer and kind of doing that initial proof of concept. So it sounds like quite an organic process. Did you, would you have started it without the co-founder? Do you think that's an important concept if you were going to start something like this? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And the answer is definitely not. So prior to this, so I had, uh, so when, when I first went on my own, I was doing a startup and it was called Audited. And it was essentially like um, a bit of a, it was an interesting offering. So it's basically like Uber for technical audits or very specialist audits. So like if you were doing like, I don't know, it could be like a hybris performance audit or a Magento SEO audit or um, I don't know, some form of like Salesforce audit. So it's quite geared around the platforms and it was they were mostly technical audits. Um, but I basically had like a roster of contractors um, and then I would kind of solve specific problems and via these audits. Um, and off the back of that, I really struggled to go from beyond me, even though it grew quite a lot and we had quite a lot of contractors involved in the delivery and the kind of operation side, but it just didn't scale at all well. And I think um, I also just really struggled um, with just being kind of an independent and being on my own with the business. And then doing this with Josh, I think was a complete game changer and like having two people making the decisions, someone else that's like fully accountable. Um, you know, Josh um, overlooks the team a lot more than I do in the business. Um, yeah, and I think just having him there as well makes me a lot more confident in building a business and also josh is my best friend um so we've known each other for like 15 years and we've been best friends for like 15 years so it makes it a lot easier as well like having that relationship and oh that's an interesting concept so when you guys started did you um, map out what your roles were going to be or did you kind of just naturally uh, assume the, the ones that you've got the strengths in or did you guys map it out and say hey this is what i want you to do this is what i want you to do and you kind of keep it quite um uh, within your own bubbles well i guess um there's a real natural split because josh overlooks the paid offering and i overlook the ecom consultancy offering like both of which have broadened quite a lot um and as much as like my title is managing director and i tend to uh do a lot of the business stuff i think really we kind of we both run each other's departments and then we kind of like cross over a little bit into the other ones. Um, 
but now it's it's changed a lot since then to be fair like paid um back then was mostly search and now socials as big as search for us um you know we've invested a lot in technology and kind of some other aspects of that department and um so he he has a lot on that side um and i'll come on to bethan as well who is who's his number two um later on and how she works on that side but um and then on my side like to be honest i'm still like we're we're still a really small company we're a team of 12 um but i'm still very much in the day-to-day so um it works really well we're basically basically we're both quite in the day-to-day still um and we both kind of still work on client accounts and and then we probably both allocate maybe 15 percent of our time to the business side so that's a good point you you made just then about the other people in your team and i know you've you've built that team of 12 relatively recently right like you've gotten to that yeah. number quite quickly but i know you've had a few few of the team members on board for a little while so yeah just talk, talk me through that who who what does the, the the 12 look like at the moment beyond yourself and and, and josh yeah absolutely like, as you say we've um so one thing i should say is we started out with that kind of objective or like mission of being like a consultancy on both sides whereas we've kind of become more of a conventional paid media agency to a a certain extent um so the paid team's grown a lot so there's nine people on the paid team and josh and bethan run that together so josh um is probably more like client services and innovation and then bethan uh manages the team so she's kind of responsible for output uh, capacity, hiring, all of those kind of aspects. And then they kind of run the accounts together from a kind of, um, uh, like account manager or like account direction perspective, I guess, or run the offering together. Um, but yeah, so, so that's kind of the paid side. And then most of those nine are seniors, which is still something we really want to stick to. So, um, rather than kind of scaling through juniors stick to being kind of more senior led, still Mm -hmm. more consultative than the average agency, a bit more kind of ingrained in the business. Um, we do have one junior, but the majority of our team have kind of four or five years upwards of experience. Um, and then we have one full-time contractor who's actually been really important to us. Um, so she's basically like a catch-all and she, so when, you know, at different times, like we were just talking a minute ago about capacity and how hard it is to manage mm. capacity, but she's kind of always there. So on an average, uh, an average point, she probably does two days a week for us, just kind of helping with different levels of optimization or, you know, if we get a, a new lead and we need to pitch it, she will help with kind of some of that initial research and putting together kind of any proposals things like that and then she's also kind of josh's number two for if if we need to i don't know like rebuild a feed or if we need to um audit tracking things like that um so she's really important as well um and then on my side we have a team of three so i'm still very much in the day-to-day and do a lot of kind of i guess i would do a lot of the kind of initial requirements gathering the kind of ba work we do um when we do the whole kind of platform selection piece and requirements gathering uh projects um and i also tend to get involved in a lot of the kind of hands-on solution stuff with the platforms as well um and then liam's more of kind of a technical architect so he tends to do kind of problem solving and um you know when uh projects kind of get stuck at different points he'll work with an agency to kind of find a solution usually so his background's kind of shopify 
full stack developer, um, but he doesn't do any development work. It's just kind of um, architecting and yeah. technical problem solving, essentially. Um, and then we have Sham, who was my first hire on the e-com side, um, who comes from like a product owner background. So she's mostly worked with kind of bigger retailers. Um, and then she project manages some replatforming projects. So she recently project managed Comran. Uh, she project managed David Austin. Um, she's doing a couple at the moment. And then she also is now getting more involved in kind of the operation side as well and kind of helping with some of the business bits that I don't allocate anywhere near enough time to. And you touched on an interesting concept there where you made the the kind of, I suppose, strategic decision not to get too broad and scale through people. So keep it niche, keep it small, and I suppose yeah. scale through uh, competency and like experience and expertise. H- how hard is it to <laughs> maintain that? Because I know this is why I wanted to do this podcast because I find the agency model is such that it is such an interesting way of doing business. And I feel that it's so easy to slip into that, like, oh shit, the next big clients come on. We need to hire loads of people. So let's go for it. How do you maintain that kind of nicheness? Like, do you specifically say no to certain projects or is there, is, is, is there a, like a strategy behind it or is it, is it just naturally happening for you guys? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess in terms of the nicheness, um, so we do turn down a lot of really nice accounts that aren't in our kind of sweet spot, I guess. So um, I remember once the only time me and Josh have ever really disagreed on something was um, one of the, big travel companies wanted to work with us so it's someone josh knew that wanted to basically bring us in to manage like a big cruise liner account that was like is a huge account like massive spend and it wasn't um kind of the e-car or like the premium brand slash kind of retailer that we like working with and in the end we didn't take them on um but i think we need to keep that because i mean everything we do is kind of geared around like everyone in our team can use Shopify, can use Magento, uh, kind of know the feed solutions inside out, um, kind of have a really good understanding of like the scripts that we use, um, you know, have a big focus on some of the things that are maybe outside of conventional paid media. So like inventory, um, like uh, some of the other kind of marketing channels, that stuff. And that just doesn't apply at all outside of our niche. Um, our average client is also like a pre- multi-channel premium brand. And like multi-channel, like maybe not so much now, but it's been a big part of what we do as well. Um, and again, I think we lose our kind of differentiator. Like every agency has like a proposition and has something they specialize in. And yep. that's, and I think we lose that as soon as we leave that, um, that kind of niche um, behind. Um, and then in terms of the senior-led things, I think uh, as part of your question, you kind of asked, how does that scale? And I think that's a really interesting one. And I think that's kind of what we need to work out. So at the moment, I think, you know, we're quite consultant led and it works the type of accounts we have. Um, And then we've got one junior and we've got a couple of people with two years experience um, or maybe two and a half years experience. But um, yeah, and we're just hiring someone else who's pretty senior. Um, So it'd be interesting to see kind of I think we're probably getting to a point now where just in terms of having people at the same level that want to progress and also, um, you know, managing accounts as a lot of uh, lower level stuff that needs to be done and we probably do need to think about how that works but i never want to get to a point where we just have juniors on accounts and we're not doing like the cool stuff that um other people are doing uh for ecom clients and you know we don't have like a certain level of person talking to the client and kind of 
talking beyond just you know search ads and shopping ads and you know social creative and stuff like that um i definitely want to kind of continue to be at a higher level so i think that's kind of the next challenge that we probably need to figure out is how we scale and continue to kind of be more senior led and provide like that higher level service um uh, you touch an interesting point there and that's clients. So I- I'm, I'm keen to understand from your perspective, is there such thing as an ideal client? And if so, how do you find them? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I used to co-own a company called GPMD, which was a really small kind of e-commerce agency, primarily design and development focused. And um, uh, we had a client called the Watch Gallery that I always considered to be the, fir- the perfect client. I always used to talk about these guys and I still do to a certain extent. Um, but basically they were a big client for us. Um, they were a multi-channel retailer. So they had different stores. They had the Rolex store in Knightsbridge. They had concessions and Selfridges, and then they had a few of their own stores. Um, and they've been bought out now by a company called Boucherer, who are like a bigger, uh, kind of watch, um, retailer. Um, and they had a really good team. So they maybe had an e-com team of five. Uh, they did a fairly good amount online. Uh, they're really competitive um, and they really like listened, I guess. So we collaborated on everything. Uh, we owned the roadmap, which I see as like the holy grail for kind of an e-com agency where you kind of uh, almost have a budget you're working to and then you can kind of dictate priorities based on what you think is going to have the biggest impact. Um, and also they were just a really interesting business. Like, you know, the lead times, like the, it was kind of like, uh, it was a very CRM led business because of the nature of the purchase. And it was just, um, it's just a really nice relationship. And we got to do some really cool stuff. Um, and they had a couple of other brands at different points. And yeah, it was just a, it's, it was a good relationship. And we were able to kind of like balance out, like owning the BAU kind of roadmap. And then also just uh suggesting really cool like innovative projects like i remember at the time we did i think the second ever responsive magento site uh, which is a really cool project to work on um yeah and i would say they were a really good client ultimately like i think taking from that like the the characteristics of a good client for me are people that kind of listen and let you kind of uh, really input into the things they're bringing you in for and like uh yeah give you a certain level of control and kind of ownership um good budget so i mean they always had like a healthy budget and you know we were able to kind of work together to figure out the best thing mm. to do with that budget um and also they had room to grow um they were a multi-brand retailer there's plenty of room for them to kind of grow across all their marketing channels and equally they were a premium retailer and we were constantly trying to like improve the kind of end-to-end customer experience um and yeah and we were kind of working together towards it so i think that's kind of what i would be looking for in a good client um, it's interesting how that dip so on it from an e-com perspective. So I think for your business, we make websites and for us that probably, I would say that would be a good client. Um, but from the pay, from a paid perspective, again, me and Josh differ. Cause I would say like my perfect client is a really nice premium brand that, yeah, maybe have a few channels really well respected, like really good product. Um, and then it would be a very strategic relationship with paid where, maybe we would be doing a lot of like crm led social um we would be potentially like pulling them to be more kind of digitally focused and maybe we'll be taking budget from like offline advertising and doing more kind of brand awareness activity online um and then also kind of really pushing the search journey like you know really focusing on like customer lifetime value and yeah just generally kind of that kind of um premium 
strategic um, retailer. Um, whereas I'd say it's quite interesting for, for someone that comes from like a search background as well. Like I remember in the early days we had, um, so we were starting to build out our client list with the kind of brands I really wanted to work with. And then we, again, we had a similar situation where we had a lead from like a real kind of like, um, I guess, discount heavy multi-brand retailer, like pure play, like everything was price orientated, like everything was just, um, you know, flat ROI based. Um, yep. And Josh absolutely loved it. And I always thought they were like a really, because uh, like just, it was just like the way that he was kind of used to working. Whereas I really wanted those more like strategic accounts where there's just like different objectives to just like achieving a higher ROI. And like we're more kind of working with different teams in the business. But I think we've kind of gradually moved towards that anyway. But yeah, it's interesting. I guess it differs, doesn't it, for different teams and different businesses. But for me, I like the brands and people that are kind of willing to like listen and invest and yeah. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, I explored the same concept on the, the, the first podcast with with Kelly from the Tap Room and, and we touched on the idea that, it, that there's nothing wrong with either option, right? Either being someone who's more of a vendor-led, get the stuff done and that's it, or yeah. more of an agency where you're kind of more ingrained in the business and you're you're, you're more of an extension yeah. of their business. It's, it's all about expectation. I think the challenge is when those two cross over and someone's expecting one, but you can't deliver it. And, yeah. you know, that's where I reckon you find changes, challenges. But, I, okay, so this this leads on to a very interesting question and one I think I, I'm kind of starting to get the, the answer to, but I heard that you, got, you do spin classes with some of your clients. So uh, is that true? true and also it like do you think that that is is in like important in in developing that kind of really embedded relationship with with clients um and can you do that at scale yeah absolutely i mean that's a really this scale one's a really interesting question so firstly the answer is yes we do do spin classes well, can't say. it's not yeah but although we've actually transitioned more to um so there's a place in london called one rebel uh historically we used to spend now we do like their like kind of boot camp equivalent class but yeah. there's a few clients that just like are really into exercise and we like try and get them to do it with us because we will often do it like at the end of the day and if we've got clients in the office we'll always try and get clients to do it with us and i do think us as a business like we've always really prioritized client relationships and i think yeah again you talk about the perfect client i think to um or like what a good client looks like i think relationship is a really important part of that like you need to have kind of that bit of buffer i guess where you know you can go in and you can really say what you mean or like say what you think or like you can really promote um you know a brand new concept or yeah and i think a big part of like having all of those good client relationship characteristics is that initial kind of relationship and um yeah having a good relationship and i said about those first clients that we worked with uh one like when we first started and josh was freelance and like one of them was o'neill um, and we still work with them today and you know they're not one of our biggest clients but we i still speak to the ecom director on whatsapp pretty much every night um you know we've got a really solid relationship we can both say like sometimes i'll message them after they've done a release and just be like this is awful like you know this is broken whatever else and and he equally will like pull, pull me up on stuff like where we're doing their pay um and i think that's really important and um yeah, we've always kind of been really focused as a business on trying to have like the best relationships with our clients and like really open relationships. And and I guess also like you, some of our clients, like particularly some of our bigger clients that like we spend so much time with, not so much now, but before. And like, yeah, I just prefer to have 
for it not just to be like a standard kind of work relationship and it all just being like super um kind of rigid and yeah i i much prefer to try and like have a, a really good strong relationship with our clients i think that's always been good for us as a business as well but the scaling yeah. point is interesting um but hopefully we'll kind of ingrain that in our team as we grow or if we grow um and yeah from there they'll kind of have the same mentality and i think you know i like sham has the same approach to me definitely um and some of the people in the paid team are, are exactly the same where you know it's, it's like we just go a bit further than just a standard kind of working relationship and i think it's important yeah and i i'd argue that that's the sort of thing that's relatively easy to um identify when you're hiring like you can yeah. tell the sort of person like i mean good example would be like are you into exercise do you do spin classes do you do boot camp and if they are then you know they're probably going to be interested in, in in joining you and the and, and the teams that are that are doing that and i actually think that that's quite a novel way to engage with your clients and i i'm seeing more of that and and doing some of it myself in terms of networking right i think well, certainly now gone are the days of like standard networking events where you go and stand around a room and, you know, like eat finger food and drink the free drinks, you know, like you got to look for things beyond that. And I think yeah. exercise is a great one because, you know, it's like fun and it's good for you. And, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's a great way to connect with people. Also, I think that there's an element where I think you could really bond with someone in a, in a, in a, at a boot camp class or a spin think, class yeah. whereas i don't bond that much with people at networking events it's very formulaic and you know blah 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 how you go in and you know like the, the rest of it so i think that there is a there's probably a vulnerability there to when you're like trying to achieve something or i don't know the boot camp is really hard and you've got both got that kind of shared experience yeah i completely agree and even beyond like you know we like beyond that like we've got a vivant fc football team and some of our clients play for them and like I just think it's just like a nicer way of working as well. It makes it better for the team as much as the client as well. Um, so you've you, you've got a pretty good, um, you know, beyond Vivant, you know, over your career, great portfolio of brands that you've worked with. So is there any on your horizon, like who would be on your your checklist, you know, in the next sort of like three to five years? Who would you really want to work with? Yeah, so my the one that I always say to this question is Liverpool Football Club, just because I'm a big uh, football fan and for Liverpool. Uh, nice. and I've always wanted to work with them, and um, yeah, I've actually spoken to them a couple of times, like like at events and things like that. But I've never um, had an opportunity. But that would that would be like the number one client I would uh, really like to work with. And then I guess beyond them, beyond them, there's not really like anyone I'd like. I mean, I guess. Um, some of the new some of the really cool like direct consumer brands i think are pretty cool just because they've got different challenges um mm. and particularly like we like one of on one of the next questions i mentioned bulletproof which we obviously work together on and i found that particularly interesting and pangaira is another one i think is particularly interesting because they've got kind of unique kind of scaling challenges um and i do really like that so i think some of those are pretty interesting and then i i still love kind of like the premium brands like the sun spells and um all of those kind of um types of kind of retailers and i think um yeah more, more of those i guess but yeah liverpool is the one that really stands out i suppose yeah and that that, that leads us on to you you chatted about or talked about the the, the um experience at um that the previous agency that you co-owned but like what what about at vivant what's been the most interesting project you guys have worked on and why yeah, so I've kind of cheated on this one. So I've got three. Um, so, <laughs> uh, 
uh, first one is Bulletproof, which we obviously worked on together. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting project. So it's my, it's my first big Shopify Plus project. So this must be, what, two, two and a half years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just a really cool brand. They had an amazing team. Um, I worked a lot with them during the build. So I was pretty much full time at certain times. And it was just a really interesting project. And then even after the build, like we did some really cool stuff from a kind of like ongoing optimization perspective. And, and they had some really like really unique challenges with like, the whole blog piece and um you know they were they were doing subscriptions at scale and um various other kind of bits that i thought were just really interesting so that was that's one um i did a project with dot martins uh a few years ago so they were moving to magento 2 and the site never launched um but just going through the kind of ba process with them um, was really interesting just because they're such a big business and they've just got so many different stakeholders in so many different countries and and they were just a, a real kind of like, I guess, enterprise brand, um, which mm. I thought was really interesting. And even and also like the, the project was supposed to be like a bit of a proof of concept and it was quite like a lean build and just approaching a project like that with so many stakeholders was really interesting. So I learned a lot from that. Um, and then David Austin Roses was the other one just because it's just a bit of a different input. So most of our input was more on their side. So we were essentially part of the client team they're a great, a great business, great brand with a really small team. And, and kind of everyone thought that or a lot of people thought that Shopify couldn't work for them just because they're really complex. But we did a lot of like discovery and a lot. And we just did a lot of cool stuff for them internally. Like some things went back into ERP. Um, we put a PIM in place to take a lot of complexity out of the product um, catalog side of things. And it was just generally like a really nice uh project to work on obviously that like, it had its challenges like they are a um they're quite a traditional brand but like really good team again um mm. yeah and i really enjoyed working on that and then the other ones that i should probably mention so science museum was a cool project uh vna was interesting because they've got kind of a big like mixed basket element to it um and then comran and pangaea are a couple of others as well mm. yeah that's a very nice uh broad set and and, and very like nice mix of the traditional type characters and then the kind of more um uh, digitally native pure play type characters i think yeah. it's a nice broad i set. really like um kind of i like having to deal with new challenges and i think um yeah i always find that really interesting and david austin and bulletproof in particular both had some pretty kind of niche um kind of business challenges that i quite liked working through and at the time it's always quite challenging but um looking back i really liked those and i think i learned a lot from both projects yeah yeah i mean that's a key takeaway right so i suppose we've we've, we've managed to go what um about 20 i oh know 28 minutes without mentioning covid and I, yeah. i've been very keen not to mention it in any of these podcasts but i, I suppose I would like to park that and maybe look at a broader concept of what's going on in the world right now. And I feel that there's a huge amount of change. You know, I think change is a, a relatively apt description of, of what we're all experiencing right now. And I suppose to take the a, a wider lens on our industry, e-commerce or retail, like, do, you know, what's your take on it right now? I th- I'm seeing a lot of literature that's sort of suggesting that we've accelerated, you know, five years in in, in a six month period, you know, like, do, do, do you do you agree with that do, do you have any thoughts yeah i mean i'm um i'm in a bit of a bubble i guess because most of what we do is like either replatforming or like roadmap items and kind of customer experience projects so i only see 
the stuff related to those types of projects but i would definitely say there's been like a pretty big shift like his like historically um we would deal with a certain level of person within a business um and now i feel like there's a lot more um uh interest slash input from more senior people within businesses and the types of projects mm. we're working on i think you know there's a few of our clients where you know the ceo is particularly um obsessed with ecom now um which wouldn't have been the case before um just because it's you know it's their biggest channel out of nowhere and maybe they've gone from 20 percent um direct consumer online to 60 percent, or yeah. their stores aren't in full operation or their wholesale channels drop because of bricks and mortar and and i guess that's kind of the biggest change for us is probably the amount of interest in these projects and particularly with some of the brands we've worked with in the past it's always been a little bit of an afterthought and the reason we're there actually in a lot of cases was because um there just wasn't enough focus on e-com and people had other responsibilities and we'd be brought in to handle parts of projects and and kind of try and um work with stakeholders and things like that um whereas now it definitely feels like there's a lot more interest in this and also i think so uh looking at different platforms i feel like uh, Shopify has obviously grown a lot over the last few years, uh, no doubt over that. But I feel like that's been accelerated massively as well because people want to be more agile. People want to have control over their site. They want to be able to actually kind of do some of the roadmap stuff they've talked about over the last couple of years. Um, and I think that's been a massive trend which has impacted us as well. It just feels like if, if not necessarily just Shopify, but people just want to be on like a SaaS platform or an agile platform and um, and really kind of be able to grow the e-com channel like more so than I've seen in the past. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think the, 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 the numbers are somewhat staggering across the board. That's a really interesting insight and, and a very astute observation around the the, 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 the focus on, on the merchant side and and and. and I mean, I'm assuming that the MDs, the CEOs, the leaders within those businesses would have had a a good pulse check on their e-com channels, but now it's seeing more because yeah. literally overnight they've gone from yeah that 20 percent to 60, 70, 80 percent as you kind of mentioned. I think that that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah. So I suppose that that that's the like general lens, and that was it was good to get your take on you know a, 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 an overall observation of the market but what about you guys like how's the team been reacting have you seen crazy amounts of demand like how have you been going um yeah managing the team in in in, in this kind of like very unusual world that we live in yeah it's um it's an interesting one so i feel like um in terms of kind of demand so from the start of covid like we probably saw like i think a lot of businesses saw a lot of clients kind of pause activity i remember there were two days in particular where on both of those two days, we had like three clients pause their paid activity and we weren't really sure, um, you know, what was going to happen with those accounts and if that was going to be a trend that rolled out across the rest of our business. But um, that kind of reversed. And I think the bit, the reason for that was because uh, people started to, I guess, just see the importance of online. And then actually now it's kind of gone the other way around where so much attention. And I would say with the last question on this, like a lot of our clients are kind of, wholesale led businesses where e-com was a small part of the business and is now mm. a bigger part and will be a much bigger part um and i think people are starting to really invest in that and that's actually had a really positive impact on us and we've also picked up a few accounts where again like people like brands have just started to focus more on online and they you know want to 
take more business direct to consumer. Um, so that's been really good for us. And on the e-com side, I think equally, there's a lot of people like reviewing their technology stacks at the moment. There's a lot of people trying to do more online kind of, and their team maybe is, um, is pretty busy at the moment. So it's been good for us on that side as well. And I think in terms of us as a team managing with working remotely and stuff like that, I think that's, it's been a struggle to be honest, like it's definitely got better on the paid side because Bethan in particular is very, very regimented and like she's a, a real manager like she's put a lot of process in place yeah. um, and they do by daily calls and um you know they end up talking a lot and there's a lot of communication generally with the e-com side dependent on where we are with different projects we can be so busy and we can go <laughs> days without talking and it's bad that like, i really struggle in particular with you know if i spend all day on calls um, I don't then talk to Liam and Sham enough. So that's something that I've struggled with a little bit. But uh, over the last few months, we've been coming back into the office a couple of days a week, which has been really good. Um, and then I've kind of got a little bit better, I'd say. And and we're doing kind of mini daily stand-ups most days um, and stuff like that. And we're doing kind of more regular calls and we started doing more training as a business, stuff like that. So we are adapting, but I still think it's, um, yeah, it has been pretty challenging for us because I think, um we really benefit from being in the same office and like a big mm. part again on both sides like of the business we really benefit from being able to throw ideas at each other and kind of bounce off each other like i benefit from being next to liam from a kind of technical solutions perspective mm. and the paid side benefit from me and liam being able to input into certain conversations etc so i do think it's definitely impacted us but it's i guess we kind of just need to adapt and it's, it's got better than it was at the start but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens now with the potential new lockdown. Yeah, man. I mean, it's like there's no textbook on this, is there? Absolutely. It's like, yeah. uh, I mean, I think that, that, that there are some obviously great resources out there. And I, I find that 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 is a challenge into itself because that's a whole job is trying to figure out how do you now manage a team remotely and how do you manage an organization remotely? And that that's challenging when you're all in the same place and there's all those benefits of of ideas sharing and people being there and the kind of essence yeah. of people that you get from being in the same room. So yeah, I think uh I think everyone I think we should all give each other some slack. I think that's maybe the yeah. maybe the best advice. Yeah. Just give each other some slack. We we're all we're all we're all surviving, which is good. I'm keen to sort of start to draw it to a close and I've got a uh um a question about uh platform versus platform. And now you and I I can quite confidently say this have written the seminal blog post on Magento versus Shopify. And I say that because I use your blog post regularly when we're talking to clients. So if you were advising a client today, which platform would you suggest? So I still think it it depends. Like I'm I've become massively pro Shopify over the last few years just because I've seen the impact it's had on a lot of our clients. Um, and it's really kind of helped them to grow being more more in control of the platform and having to allocate less time to maintenance and upgrades and everything else. But Magento definitely still has its place. And I think we've had some retailers um, that have got like, you know, particularly the B2B side of Magento is very strong. Um, mm. And in a lot of cases, Shopify can't replicate what Magento can do on the B2B side. Um, and also if you're like really, really heavily international and you've got kind of certain complexities as a business, I think, you know, Magento still um, has a big place. I think Magento obviously is a very kind of open um, platform that can be heavily customized and there'll be certain things 
within that that certain businesses might need to do and is better they're better placed doing it as magento with magento where it can kind of be more within the core of the platform which although comes with a lot of cons in terms of heavily customizing a platform magento allows for it um but equally i mean i am a massive fan of the SaaS platforms um and shopify in particular just because i think the ecosystem around it like how agile the platform is everything else um for a brand in particular um or like just a fast growing b2c retail i mean if you you're not limited by uh i'm i mean every platform is going to have compromise and mm, it has that in certain places but often when you weigh up the compromise like and a lot of retailers will be like actually yeah shopify will put, allow us to grow faster or allow us to do you know provide a better customer experience that we can um adapt uh more frequently etc so um so i think it depends but i would say that shopify currently has a pretty good place for kind of brands and fast growing b2c retailers yeah i think that the 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 retail complexity that hasn't necessarily gone away but in some ways has been paused with the the pandemic i think has yeah, allowed saas based platforms to kind of uh solidify their presence a little bit in the market because you know i mean it's a very <laughs> an existential threat that would have been very very difficult to predict you know kind of six 12 months ago but yeah i think you touched on a really interesting point and i i did i'd argue that anyone a merchant looking for a perfect platform is going to find it very 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 difficult there is no such thing you know you're going to make compromises on on either side and it's it's all about your net benefit of the platform and yeah. how much are you willing to compromise on on certain elements and so forth so i think we can agree that the magento versus shopify debate will continue beyond Absolutely. this conversation <laughs> all right i'm look i'm keen to sort of draw it to a close so my, i mean my final question is just like what, what what's what's going on with you guys you know 2021 and beyond like what what's in store for favant and the team yeah, um, good question. So I think mostly like um, the same as we've been doing. I think um, we've grown a lot recently. We don't want to grow too quickly. Um, Ecom side, we're doing like we want to focus on doing really cool stuff. Um, you know, getting involved in more like innovation stuff beyond the replatformings. But equally, you know, we're we're probably like seventy five percent replatforming. So continue to do lots of those types of projects. Um, and then on the paid side, continue to push particularly search and social um and build out more kind of internal technology and you know win more cool brands and again do do more kind of really cool strategic stuff on that side so more of the same really to be honest that's good man well look um i i'm i'm making a pact i'm making it to most people on this podcast but uh when i do uh series two of the agency side um concept i will be sure to check in with you and we'll see how you're going paul yeah. thank you so much for joining me that was great mate brilliant All right, thanks for having me on There you have it. A massive thank you to Paul for being on the show. Please go and check out Vervont at vervont.com. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. And yes, if you like the podcast, like, subscribe, download, and tell your best friend to do exactly the same. I will see you next time. Taking notes because I don't like being ignored.